I definitely am going to have to cut that after. <laughs> this is Dad I'd Like to Friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden. And if this is your first time joining us, don't forget to click subscribe. Today, I'm excited to welcome a singer-songwriter who tours the world alongside his bandmate, who also happens to be his wife. The duo is known as Johnny Swim, and they've been one of my favorites for quite some time. You'll see why if you check out their new show on the Magnolia Network, which follows as they live out their dreams, performing around the world while bringing their whole family along for the ride. Together, we explore how to continue living adventurously with three kids in tow. The answer might surprise you. <laughs> Abner, it is such a pleasure to have you. Pleasure's all mine. I think that the the first place I'd like to start is with this this who wrote the poetry that's on your website. Like the bio is very poetic. <laughs> what is our bio? It now is, I Google it. It's very long, but it says <laughs> um, the music moves as the couple's life does scrapbooking unforgettable experiences in melody like an eternal keepsake of their relationship lord i love that i don't know who wrote it i need to tip them so it, it is such a beautiful description and from being a fan of your music i feel like it kind of describes it beautifully the early years at least of, of your love story as a couple kind of very much comes through in the music mm. what i want to know is how dramatically has your relationship changed since you had kids Wow. You know, people always say that one is fun, two is 10 kind of thing. We have three kids and we have found that the hardest transition in our life as parents has been from zero to one. And I think that I found that to be true a lot of times with creative folks, people that have, you know, they're self-employed and have traveled for a living, all that stuff. Uh, it was, it changed everything. Kid one. After that, it's like, uh, I'll the comedian that says it. Having a bunch of babies is like drowning and then somebody throws you a kid. That's uh, that's pretty much what it's been like since kid one. It's felt like we're drowning and then we just keep getting kids thrown at us. <laughs> it was, you know, we were in the truest sense traveling troubadours. We were always proud of being able to, of how long we could travel with one suitcase and one guitar. And I think our, our biggest amount was like three months that we never went back home before having kids. Wow. With just a, one bag that had our clothes in it and one guitar. And we would just say yes to everything. It was always yes. Hey, do you want to? Yes. Will you come play it? Yes. There's no money. We don't care. We're there. So the biggest change in our life pre-parenting to then becoming parents and keeping the same job is that our yeses had to be measured before they were not measured. It was just the automatic response to any request was yes. I absolutely love that, which is very impressive considering the fact that, like, Amanda comes from music royalty. 100%. Amanda is Abner's wife, who is also his music partner. And her mom was Donna Summer. And the yeah. fact that she was so open and available is very humbling and impressive, you yeah, know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And Amanda never, it's funny, man. She never, she took her parents' advice, brilliant advice. Donna and Bruce, amazing advice and amazing legacy. But, you know, people always say, is it easier because, you know, your mom's done a summer to have a career in music? Right. It would be like having your father say to your mom, be a titan of the oil industry, but you now work in electric cars. Right. It helps none. So Amanda once said, I add intimacy and he adds fire. Mm. And that's the balance mm. of what Johnny Swim is. Would you define mm. the relationship like that? Man, I love that. That's, that's better than what I would say. In my mind, I'm the balloon and she's the tether. Um, 
left alone, I will go anywhere and accomplish nothing. I don't know. I've heard this about vineyards once. If you look on a, on a vine at a vineyard, there's green grapes and there's red grapes growing next to each other simultaneously. And you would think, I remember asking, why don't you, if these are already ready to be harvested, why don't you go ahead and harvest the ones that are ripe as the green ones take time to mature? And the answer kind of changed my life. The answer was we leave the ripe ones and the unripe ones, the mature ones and the less mature ones. We put them together. And I'm saying, I mean, in this analogy, man is the mature one. I'm the less mature one. Um, <laughs> the ripe fruit causes the unripe fruit to ripen more quickly. And the unripe fruit keeps the ripe fruit fresh longer. And so we leave them together. And I really feel like that's Amanda and I. She is obviously, if you'd have to know us for exactly five seconds, the, the mature one in the relationship, the, the reasonable one in some ways. And uh, in some ways, I think I keep her fresh with my ability to be unreasonable. I love that. How has children changed that? How do they come into the dynamic? I had never felt more selfish than about a year in a marriage, a year looking at that mirror of myself through the reflection of our relationship, realizing how incredibly selfish I was. And I felt like I had a really big transition point, a year into marriage, a big change, a big things in me that I decided were never going to break, had to, or at least had to bend. Selfishness kind of being the king titan of that category, whether that's how I spent my time, how I spent my energy, where I put my attention, my affection, all that stuff, right? I thought that was, I thought that was really what I needed in life. That big breakthrough that came through, you know, a couple, a year or two of marriage. And then I had kids. And that reflection became so much more clear of my selfishness, of what do I prioritize? What do I spend my time on? So the way that that has changed, and it's funny because there's freedom in it, is we no longer are number one and two in our own lives. We always have been until we had kids. Number one for me was Amanda. Number two was me, self-admittedly. I got Amanda and I got me. I'm looking out for us. You know, I got family, I got friends and all that stuff, but we are the principal uh, players in this story of our lives. Right. And then having kids, it changed everything. What purpose is there to what I do if all it is is vanity? And that was the, ex having kids exposed to me, <laughs> how my vain pursuits in life, what are the things that I'm pursuing that won't last when I take my last breath? What are the things that won't stand? Because the things that will stand are the things that I get to pass down to my kids. That's yeah. bigger than money. That's bigger than a, a cool idea or a cool song, you know? So having kids changed, uh, changed it greatly. Changed, it changed everything. It put, it put the world on its head for us. I, I really do love your relationship. I feel like Laura and I, we have had struggles with each of us being the youngest, you know, spoiled brats, you know? Yeah. And, like standing in the kitchen when we first got married and being like, I'm not going to cook. Well, I'm not going to cook. Like we're both used to people like taking care of us and like right. needing to give in and, and just watching how the kid has evolved us and, and the struggles to have a kid has evolved us. Mm. And I just, I, I think so many people will connect with that. I, there's something that you said once about our therapy is performing or writing together. If we're ever in a fight before a show, we get on stage and it reminds us of how much, in love we are. Yeah. And I guess one thing that I think so many people would be curious about you two is you can feel the love in the music. And I, I mean, specifically take the world is one of my favorite songs. I told you in the pre-interview, mm. my son has gone to bed 
listening to that song since he was born. That's awesome. You know, it's on his playlist that has some embarrassingly cheesy music with it. (laughs) But that one is not cheesy. It's such an amazing, empowering song. I appreciate it. I feel like, how do you keep that romance alive when you have three kids and a tour bus and all the people around? Can you? Is it, is it in snippets? Like, wh- mm. what is your advice to other married couples who are struggling with that connection? Mm. Well, I'll say, first of all, our, our therapy is now therapy, which has been amazing. And it's something that I, I, growing up a Southern evangelical, going to a therapist was always such a negative, had such a negative connotation. It was always such a last-ditch effort. Things must really be falling apart. You're going to a therapist. And we started going to therapy during COVID and it, it's, it's, I, I try not to use, I'm trying not to use revolutionary, it, but it, it was eye opening. It was, I'll say gate opening. There were places in our relationship that felt locked up places in our, in our romance that felt kind of sealed off even where there, as much as we connect, there's places where we felt disconnected and therapy has been massive for us for that. Was the impetus for seeking out a therapist the fact that you two have almost been on tour and that has been your therapy and you were landlocked during quarantine? Ooh, man, I never thought about it that way, but probably. I think there's a lot also because it is true. There's so much music, performance, writing, looking at each other. We spend 80%. All right, so I'm, uh, dumb analogy. Uh, when you first get your pilot's license, you, you, you fly under what's known as VFR, visual flight rules. Do you so have a pilot's right? license? Um, um, August 22nd's my test. Oh, you can just keep getting cooler and cooler, Abner. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a student pilot right now. And so what they teach you as your student pilot flying under VFR rules, visual flight rules, is 80% of your concentration of your attention needs to be out the windows, 20% at your instruments. And that changes as you grow and develop and you go to IFR instrument, instrument flight rules. So you can fly at night, flying clouds, flying inclement weather, because you don't need to be able to look outside. But the way they teach you to fly initially is 80% of your attention outside. When we perform, it's a lot like flying under visual flight rules. 80% of our attention is on each other. The music, yada, yada, all that, the audience for sure. But 80% of my attention is on Amanda while I'm playing. And there is such a great level of intimacy to spend an hour and a half, a night, five, six days a week, not just visually looking at her, but trying to stay connected. How is the inflection of her voice right now in this exact second going to affect what I do in the following seconds. And that it's, it's, it's more than, it feels like more than even like athletics or like some kind of sport. It's so alive. Like I hear her voice, the way she moves her body. I'm paying attention to all of that because it's going to inform me how I feel in this moment, how I perform in this moment, what the next song might be, what changes we might make. So there's, there's such a beauty to that salve in our relationship, which is performing and that alive risk and adventure, because it almost does feel like we're jumping out of a plane together when we're performing. It's so alive. And so whatever, we lost that during COVID. Yeah. And so they're now, one of the bad things about that beautiful salve of performing and risking together nightly is that it could be easy to overlook some things that actually need work. Right. And so here we are 15 years into performing together, first time in our life together ever that there's no that we're not performing or they're not right. taking some kind of risk, some kind of adventure together. And so there were things in how we communicate, uh, some things that I take for granted, some things that needed attention and actual practical change. And so I do believe to your point, the impetus for, for going to therapy was all of a sudden this drastic change in life. And there were tools we, 
equipment and tools we have in our marriage that we no longer had access to because we weren't on stage together anymore. There is this moment in the TV show where you two are singing home, mm. and uh, which is the first song I discovered you guys from. And uh, you're in the middle of that crowd, and it's a line that you just come together for a harmony, you mm. know, and you both lean into the mic. And I don't know what, I, I feel like you said something about, I wish I could remember the lyric. It was about people from the past. Oh, my mother oh. met her maker. Yeah. And you sang it with harmony. And I literally, I don't know Donna Summer. I don't know Amanda. I don't know you, but I almost <laughs> like could feel you were like, I made it up. I don't know if it's true, but I made up yeah. like that you were having a moment remembering her mom that, that yeah. she had left us. And yeah. I just teared up. It was, there was so much emotion in a two second harmony. And I, yeah. and I just felt that power. So I can't imagine feeling it on a nightly basis and then not being able to feel it for a year. Yeah. You know, you're not wrong, by the way. That song we wrote before our parents were gone. But that line, the whole line says, my daddy's gone and my mama met her maker. And we've talked about it, Amanda and I, since our parents passing. Oh my God, and your dad passed. Yeah. Oh, How yeah. bizarrely prophetic that song was. And uh, every night that line means something to us. Every night. It used to be, there was a, there's another line in the song, you know, home, I love me some home is the, the kind of closing line. Yeah. And it's a quick and, song, but that line, you just yeah. slowed down for this amazing Yeah. Moment. No, man, that is, that's, you nailed it. That's exactly, that's a, that's a special moment for us every night. So Laura and I had struggles during quarantine in a different way in that we are, we've always been best friends. We spent a shit ton of time together, but Laura got deep into her device. Mm. Like she was cheating on me with Twitter <laughs> during, during COVID. Like she just... Yeah was so deep and in her head. And it was, you know, she would give Wyatt a, an iPad to watch, which I was really against when I wasn't yeah. around. And we we do a co-parenting series, which has kind of been our therapy. It's, it's become quite popular. And mm. we just do a few episodes where we kind of just get on the mic and talk about things we're fighting about or arguing about, like live on the mic. That's awesome. And we try and just kind of get to the other end. And the most recent episode, we decided to kind of make a challenge where we would not bring the phone into the bedroom. You know, Ooh. that was like a sacred place. And we would, you know, never have the phone in the bedroom. And then we decided we're going to do a, a larger challenge with some of the brand partners for the podcast and do a 24-hour. We turn off their phones on the weekends. And it has wow. been our saving grace. Wow. And, um, and it has been very difficult to convince Laura to do it. You know, like <laughs> she will do it. And then all of a sudden I'll notice she brought it in her purse in case, you know? <laughs> Like I had to like get a flip phone. So she felt like there was an emergency phone. I got a landline in case people, you know I mean? I did everything yeah. to convince yeah. every excuse because she's yeah. so addicted to it. But our challenge is, can we get other people to give up their phone for 24 hours? And I feel like for us, that was our version of performing on stage. It was like, wow. when the phone is off, we actually remember the love story. Wow. You know? Yeah. But it was because it was like, how do we sustain it? Yeah. When... We're locked in a house. Yeah. How do you sustain it when you're not, you know, on stage together? I think it's been, that's been therapy for us in an amazing way. Ooh, that's awesome. And you asked me something that I, I, I didn't get to. I'm sorry. You said, what advice would I give to folks to, for that kind of thing? And yeah. I really feel like there's a sense, and I hear it in what you're talking about with giving up the phone for 24 hours. Uh, the word I would use is adventure. There's a sense of adventure in that. It's, it's, adventure isn't always going to the Himalayas. Adventure isn't always last second trip to Paris. Or, you know, let's go run a marathon. 
adventure is giving up your phone for 24 hours. Yeah. Like the, the adventure, I guess more than adventure, it's attention. How do I, how do I find a way to, to give us, not just you, not just me serving my wife and giving her more attention, but the greater, what is it? The, the, the whole is greater than some of the parts us together is more valuable than either of us added together to the other one. Yeah. So how do I give that thing attention? What do I need to set aside? How do I make time for it? How do I prioritize giving attention, not just to her, but to us? Most of us don't have the opportunity to get on stage and perform with our, you know, most intimate partner. And, yeah. and, and what I hear you saying is that's where the adventure comes from. Like you, you get in the tour bus and let the adventure come. Yes. And for so many people in the world, that's not an option. And I feel like putting away the phone allows for the opportunity for connection and adventure to come. Woo, 100%. You know, like, I don't know what the day is. I'm not going to hide in my phone. Yes. I'm not going to hide behind the TV, you know? <laughs> so good. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, man. I get, I do mornings in our house. Amanda does basically everything else. She's unbelievable. And I, I said to my, I said to a, a dear friend of mine, he, he says that his wife keeps score and, you know, she does one thing. She's like, well, you know, I changed the last time you seen you change this one, which I think is a normal, whatever thing. If my wife kept score, she'd probably leave me. <laughs> she is unbelievable. She does everything. So I do mornings. And uh, so I, I'm good in the mornings. I like getting up. I typically have a pep in my step in the mornings, ready to go, make a plan, yada, yada. I'll make coffee every morning since we've been together. I'll bring her, I mean, literally maybe 20 times a year is there a morning that I'm not bringing her coffee in bed because uh, I'm a morning guy. And, I, you know, that's where I pay my dues in the morning. Boom, boom, boom. But all that to say is I get sore just above, just below my elbows on my forearm, those bones, because I'll get the kids breakfast. I'll line them up. They're all eating cereal, pancakes, whatever, maybe bacon on the weekends. Um, and I get on my phone and my elbow's on the counter and I'm just on the phone. And so I, regardless of the amount of opportunity Amanda and I have for adventure, I believe that 24 hours without a phone is, it could end up being vital. I love that. Well, then you're in for the challenge. I'll, I'm going to hit you back up, you know? I'm in. Okay. So earlier on, I just want to defend you in that mm. you just said that's literally all you do in the mornings. And I know that you are semi-joking, but I do think it's important for people to hear that you just in the pre-interview discussed a lot about your dad yeah. and about how he was the most masculine guy, but he brought his heart and vulnerability to the table. I do think that's something that should be accounted for. Like Amanda may very well handle a lot of responsibilities, but it does feel like you bring a vulnerability to the table that can really bring an intimacy in a family. And that's why I asked you about the intimacy versus fire. Cause I do hear so much vulnerability from you and I think that's a very powerful force in a family, especially coming from the man. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, uh, one thing, uh, a challenge I placed on myself as a father that I've embraced and is, is, has come to be something I'm really not proud of. It's, it's been important in our family. It's for me to apologize to my kids when I mess up, for me to take time if I, well, I can't, no, I told you not to touch that. Then I go to your room, whatever, something. To, I overreacted. Why can't I need you to look at me? I love you. You're such a good boy. I'm so sorry. I overreacted. What is something you want to do that I could do with you? How can we, how can we hang out, spend some time together? And that's, I don't know that my dad did that specifically, but there was certainly a vulnerability in the way uh, he fathered me that, that I've carried on into this kind of practical circumstance for myself. Yeah. And it, it, it's changed a lot. It's, it's been a, that's a newer thing over the last couple of years. And it's, uh, it's been vital for us. 
I love that. I feel like with parenting in particular, you know, we are a podcast that we specifically speak to parents, but not necessarily about parenting. We speak mm. about being a human when you also happen to be a parent. You know, mm. that's why I think keeping the fire alive is such an important thing to discuss. But particularly in my life, we have been struggling with boundaries a lot because mm. Laura has none. <laughs> and I mean, I, I never had them before kids. I was definitely a helicopter husband. Yeah. But, you know, I learned so much through my relationship with Laura that I, I, I'm really good about boundaries with Wyatt. And when I say no to him, he's, he's two and a half. He likes me to say he's almost three. <laughs> That's great. And when I say no, he's like, let me, let me ask mommy something. And it's like, she's going to say the same thing. <laughs> he's so clever. But Laura and I had to showcase that we are on the same page. And it, it helps us from a boundary standpoint to have him understand that no is no. There's not like a, yeah. a maneuver around. Yeah. And you once equated songwriting to relationships. And you said, there's going to be disagreements. Sometimes we see things from totally different angles. But at the end of the day, we're on the same team for a greater purpose. Mm. And mm. I loved it because I thought that's literally what Laura and I are going through right now is mm. trying to always be on the same team, even if we don't agree with each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? For Wyatt's sake. That's it. You know, if daddy said that. Then that's it. We always say it takes two yeses for a yes. It takes one no for a no. I love that. It takes mommy and I both saying yes for you to get yes to this thing, for you to be approved for whatever request that is. But if either, it doesn't matter who you ask first, who you ask second, one no is, is it. That's all it takes. You need both yeses. That's a beautiful thing for parents to hear because you're still two individuals, but your kids have to see you as a team if you want to be able to set any true boundaries. Exactly. There was a, a psychologist that I heard, I heard talk about parenting. He said, parents come to me all the time. How do I, what's the best thing I could do from the time they're born to uh, make sure they go to the best schools, not just practically like put them in the right thing, but to make sure they're Ivy League quality students, to make sure they're the best brain developed humans they could possibly be. What, what are some practical things I can do? And I loved, and, and I really wish I remembered this doctor's name, but I love what the psychologist said. He said, the best thing you could do to increase the capacity and to maximize their ability to grow and learn is to go home and love your wife well. If they see that, that is the environment in which they will grow to their greatest capacity. And that rocked my world. I Because it's not just about the practical things, not about whatever. It's, it's, and it goes back to being a team. Like, regardless of what you see in this wild world, me and mom are a unit. And you're a part of this team. You're a part. And we, even if we argue, we disagree, we see things differently. We're headed the same direction. This ship has two captains. But we will steer it in one direction. And that's not up for debate. I absolutely love that. Now, to challenge that, and not hmm. to, I very much believe everything you're saying, and I love it. You, you seem to live in such adventure without any boundaries. I mean, you're on a tour bus yeah. with three kids. So how do you establish boundaries with your kids? Mm. You know, how do you say no when you, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I can stay for another five minutes, you know, but you're locked on a tour bus, yeah. And you oh, yeah. you have a show to get to or you have a sh yeah. you have to get on stage. Like how do you how do you keep to boundaries? I mean, the ultimate boundary making for us is screen time for our 6-year-old. When we set that boundary, it is so important not just to set the boundary but to follow through cuz kids are so good. We're both babies of the family as well, the man and I. And people always told us it would never work because we're both too selfish. We're both babies. We're both, I grew up the prince of my house. There's no question. Right, right. 
I don't know that Amanda really grew up the princess. Uh, you know, her, her mom was the queen. So for us, that follow through, having to have follow through on whatever small thing it is, whether it's huge, don't talk to strangers, don't, pe- don't show people your privates, which is what we're going through with our six-year-old right now. <laughs> It's important for us to say we set the boundaries in, in big or small ways, whether it's don't talk to strangers, don't run off, don't run in the street, screen time's over at this time. It's just the, the boundaries are really the same at home as they are on the road. Uh, there's actually more boundaries on the road because I don't you can't you can't go off just because this person's nice and maybe they were backstage with us doesn't mean you can go with them or you trust them or whatever. There's we have to be real clear. This is our team, this is our unit, this is who you're with, who you're allowed to be around. This is the safe zone. Um, we're gonna go, we take our kids to every freaking amusement park, kids museum, all across America. And you got to stay with them. There's not, we don't, we don't have a super strict household, but we, we have our radar set a little more sensitively, if you will, because there's so many more opportunities for things to go wrong and for, uh, I don't know, for things to be kind of chaotic that we have to have a little bit stricter boundaries on the road than we do even at home. I, I love that. I, I was actually, I sometimes worry that I'm too, I'm not a very anal person with every aspect of life, but I try and be a little anal with Wyatt because I want there to be some structure so that we could have yeah. so much fun outside the structure. And there was a part of me that, that thought you were going to say, we don't believe in boundaries. Like we, you know, we're right. carefree. We're artists. And I was like, <laughs> part of me wanted you to say that. And then just be like, yes, I could do that too. But I, but I like the reality of what no. you're saying. It's like, you, you need the mix of both. Because there's so much opportunity within the boundaries. I mean, we're going, we're taking two weeks. We're going to Sardinia and Paris and Florence to celebrate being done with the album. We're trying to do something ridiculous right. at the end of every album making thing. So we're done with the album. TV show will be out. All the stuff. We're going to go to Italy for, for two weeks and Paris and whatever. And that has to live within boundaries. It has to. But you get to do ridiculous things if you can stay within the boundaries. If I can trust you to stay with me and not run off. If I can trust you to be able to keep your mask on on the airplane, which is now the thing. Right. If I can trust you to hear my voice and be able to tune your little brain to my voice in a sea of people, we can do crazy things together. And it may, it may even look like we don't have boundaries because we're going to go swimming in the ocean off the coast of Italy. We're going to go run around in Paris together. We're going to do a lot of awesome things in the next few weeks, but... I just need you to trust me and do what I say. I love that because it does seem like you have boundaries. It seems like there are – we have we use safety as like a keyword where, okay, there is some leniency on a bunch of things. But when I say safety, put on that freaking seatbelt. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not negotiable. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? And I yeah. like your mentality of like there is a lot of freaking freedom here. But there are some boundaries yeah. that don't F with, you know? Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. I like that. I like that safety because we, we say danger. That's dangerous. Dangerous. I'm not going to let you yeah. do that. Amanda says to him all the time, God put me in charge of you. I'm responsible for you before God. That's who I have to answer to as your parents. So when you ask me, why can I do this? Why can I do that? Because in my best estimation, as a grown-ass human and your little-ass self, this is the best, safest place for you. And I can go to God himself and say, I'm doing my best. I love that. So, okay, the song First Try. Mm. I understand it and love it as a love song between you and Amanda in the mentality of we're going to get it right. We don't believe in finding a different love. This love is going to work. Right. I don't, I no offense to anyone at home. I was raised by high school sweethearts who are still together. I don't necessarily believe in divorce. It's not religious. I just, Laura and I have gone through tough times and we stick it out and we fight for each other, you know? 
And that's not always possible, but um, I love the song for that. But I'm wondering how the philosophy changes when you throw parenting into the mix. Because I thought I was listening (laughs) to the song with you in mind as a parent. And I was like, get it right on the first try. Holy crap, that's a lot of pressure. And like, I don't know, I've ever gotten it right on the first try. You know what I mean? Like, it's so much trial and error. No, no, as a parent, I, I, one thing I talked to my therapist about is I'll lay in bed feeling so guilty about the mistakes I made as a dad today. I'll, I'll, I was too strict on this. I said, no, I felt, I don't, why not even act like that? Why was I so sure that this was the right way to go when he could have, of course he could have played with his friends in the backyard a little longer. Why, why I, whatever. I'll lay in bed and I'll beat myself up about decisions I made and all the things I did wrong, all the things I didn't get right on the first try. And uh, my therapist encouraged us, encouraged me specifically so when I have that temptation to lay down and beat myself up, because the point is I don't. That that resiliency of trying to nail it, be perfect. I don't even think first try is about being perfect. Really, it's about what you said. It's about sticking it out through the hard times, through the imperfections, being able to nail the greater picture, which ultimately for us is toe tags and body bags. We say it in a song coming out of the new album. To me, success looks like a ring on my finger with a tag on my toe. That's success. That I've got this ring on my hand when I'm being buried. That's my that's success. However, we get there, that's the goal, and that's our that's where we're headed. Therapist told me, and when I'm tempted to lay down in bed and think about all the things I did wrong as a dad, try to pivot that into thinking of what can I do? What's something that my son? Because specifically happens with my with my son who's six, more often than my daughters who are three and one and a half. Uh, what's something that I can do with him tomorrow that I know he loves? That I can put my phone away for? I can tell everybody leave me alone. And I could spend a few minutes at least with him doing that thing tomorrow. Spend my time focusing on that. What's something positive I can do tomorrow? Not just the things that I screwed up today. Because, man, is that not impossible. I always, I always thought, I'm not going to have an oldest child, oldest child. I'm not going to have that oldest kid that's a perfectionist that needs to da-da-da. And then I watch myself with him versus the daughters, my daughters. And, it, and I've, I've fallen, I've succumbed to the thing that every parent does. I'm making a first child out of my first child. And I'm trying to beat that, trying to break that. What's the toughest moment you've experienced thus far as a dad? Oh, Jesus. That's a great question. What's the toughest moment I've experienced as a dad? I mean, God, is it, I does it ever have yeah. to do with the balance of trying to balance all the things you're carrying or trying to stay creative while <laughs> raising three kids and touring? I'm grateful that hasn't been... Yeah, creativity's been chill, right? I feel like I feel like I believe creativity to be a well that you access. It's not the responsibility's not on you. It's just on going to it, getting there. I think the hardest times like yesterday we had a songwriting session and a studio session. We we wrote all day. Juices were flowing, so it moved right into recording, right into everything. I'm not even done with work yet and it's bedtime. And yesterday I didn't do a good job of hanging out with my kid. I didn't prioritize stopping work. And we work at home, so I mean, I hear him all day. You know, he runs in here while we're doing interviews or working. I think that's tough. It's tough for me Then he's in bed, and maybe he's acting out because he didn't get to see me much yesterday. And now I'm frustrated with him. I haven't even seen him. And so his memory of yesterday with me is going to be dad was frustrated. Dad was not around, and then he was frustrated with me. I think that's tough. I think that's tough for me. I think that's a – it's a hard – it is balance, I guess. We, we like to say we don't – we don't use the word balance as much as we use the word gumbo. When you're cooking gumbo – Typically, so you're not just weighing and measuring everything and trusting it to be right when you put it in. You're tasting it. Oh, it needs a little more salt. Let me add some salt. Oh, it needs a little more of this. We treat our life like gumbo. There's music, TV, there's books, family. There's our community. 
that's vital to us, family and friends. Sometimes you taste it and you realize, all right, I need a little more. I need me and Amanda need more time alone together. We haven't prioritized us, intimacy, our time together. We need to make make that more of a priority. You taste the gumbo and you see where it's going. And I think the hardest part for me is realizing that often when I taste the gumbo, I, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids already. Even though we take them everywhere, it might seem weird from the outside looking in. They're everywhere we are, but we just take them. You know? Yeah, I don't know, man. Sometimes the hardest part of being a dad, I'll be honest. The hardest part of being a dad is feeling like I suck at it sometimes. Yes. That's parent, not dad. That's, I think, everyone, secretly. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like you. I wanted to be a dad forever. That's, I think that's the hardest part, feeling like I suck at it sometimes. I find that it's so hard whenever you get excited about something professionally and you get into it, and then you realize you missed a moment with your kid. And it's like, how yeah. can I freeze time and have both? And you can't, and it's yeah. so hard, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I guess our whole the thesis of our life is you can have both, right? Like you can you can be creative, you can pursue things and you can have family. But ultimately you can't have it perfectly. Ultimately you can't have some Disney version of it. Ultimately it's real. We for instance, first try was a song we wrote. To go back to, to your point of that song, we wrote that song early in our marriage. But that's it. We want to get it right on the first try. I'm not looking to I'm not looking for my second marriage to be better than my first. I'm looking for one and only marriage. That's all I want. Full stop. Amanda for life. Fast forward six, seven years, and we wrote a similar song on this album, but it's called Devastating. And it's the same kind of thesis, but the perspective has changed through parenting and through living life. And now and this song says, I want to love you till it's devastating. We've had the privilege, and I do call it a privilege, to have had parents, each of us, who fulfilled their vows till death did them part. And again, as you said, no offense to any listener, Sometimes it's not possible. I understand that. And I'm not trying to argue that, that in any way. But I do believe it's a privilege to know that my mom and dad, that my mom buried my dad with a ring on his finger, that her dad buried her mom with a ring on her finger. We were there the night she died. I remember, I remember hearing Donna and Bruce that night. I, I was being right there with them. And I remember hearing Donna's cries for help as she was hurting in her last moments. And I remember Bruce holding her, looking her in the eye, saying, I love you, Adrian. I love you. I love you. I'm right here. I love you. It's the most horrific and most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. It's the most horrible and the most beautiful. It is both of those things. Now you're going to make me tear up. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, there, are there any family time rituals that are, mm. that are sacred for you with all the chaos and all the glory of, of your very busy, untraditional lives? Like, are there things that are just steadfast? We will never miss this thing. Uh, if at all possible, which 99% of the time it is, we always eat together. Dinner is always together. That's something a man and I, how we were probably how we were raised and where we're at now is just eating together. Spending with no TV on, sitting at the table, staring at each other, talking, singing together. But yeah, meals. Meals are our, if we have a tradition, it's that. I love that. And that's something that anyone can do, which I love. Yeah. To close us up here, you have this song called Bridges. And you were once talking about it and you said, I don't know what's ahead of us, but I know I'm willing to burn down everything that's behind us. That's what marriage is. That's what family is. Mm. I'm committing myself when you commit to raising your kids, you burn the bridges 
to your past self. You're a new person. You're not going backwards. And I am willing to risk everything for what's ahead of us. Tell me about that. Mm, I like that. You said it. I like that guy. Good dude. <laughs> when you're young, you have this vision of your future self. And especially if you have got the gusto to chase after it, you're going to give everything you have for this version of you, right? This thing that I want to be, whether it's financial success, familial success, whatever that success or dream or goal looks like, you're willing to, to risk everything to become this thing. The great lesson I had to learn in this journey of becoming who I am at this point is learning to bend before I broke. There's so many, I never will do this. This will never happen. I'm always this. Da, 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 da. God, that's just too much. Like you can't be, I can't be that strict about what's ahead of me, right? Like I'm, I'm different now than I was before I was married. I'm way different now than I was before I had children. I had to learn that I couldn't commit myself to never changing. There's things about me that are different. I'm a new person. I'm different as a parent than I was as a single guy or even as we were married without kids. So my commitment, instead of just being this rigid thing, this force that wants to be this one thing, and this is how you get there, and this is that one line to success, I had to realize, all right, I needed to kill a lot of those things that I told myself I was, or that I was always going to be. A lot of that stuff's gotta die, man. I think living well is experiencing a series of deaths. A series of retirements. <laughs> a series of retirements, that's great. Retirements is better. And I think that's what that song's about, and what that statement is about in a way is really about retiring some past selves that we're really sure of a lot of things that this new self isn't so sure about anymore. But I do know I'm moving forward. I, I love that. You are such a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Man, thank you for having me, truly. Let's do it again. If you're still here, then there's a good chance that you connected with some aspect of today's episode. So if that is the case, please consider sharing it or writing a review. And we invite you to join in on the conversation by visiting us on Instagram, at DILF Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you.